I won't lie in the most disturbing part of this movie for me that I was just like, like I didn't even like grimace or anything. I was just like, why was, uh, was definitely when he kind of like sliced open his nipple. <laughs> but like, it wasn't like on the nipple, which I guess would have been worse, but like, I just don't know why the nipple had to be there. was all, you know, it could have just been like his stomach or something. Just the fact the nipple was there right next to where he sliced made it so much worse. I don't know why. what is real. According to Shakespeare, there was something operating in nature, perhaps inside human nature itself, that was rotten. A canker, as he put it. Do you want to give us a little teaser, Ian, and then we'll talk about it some? Hold up, we gotta do the whole intro. Oh yeah, man, I knew I was forgetting something. Alright, we're Paz of Fear, movies, horror, Marshall and Ian. You want to tease it? No, I'm kidding. I'm sure they love it when you do the intros. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, Pazifier, horror movies stuff, uh, Marshalline. Yeah, you, know, you know how it is. <laughs> What's your intro then? You know, if it's so much better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I- I'm going to use your intro. Uh, but, and, and this week, as somewhat of a finale to our recent slasher marathon, uh, is A Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, what a way to end, of course, the 1984 original. Uh, it came second place for our first Slasher Week vote, losing to the original Halloween. Uh, it was recommended by audience member Odd Mom, who may or may not be my mom. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, it's an American slasher horror classic made in 1984, and it was written and directed by Wes Craven. It also, I want to say, it beat out Behind the Mask. The Rise of Leslie Vernon, dude, and that made me so sad because I was like, that's such a... I, I want that movie, but no. Yeah. You know what's terrible is I, 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 I don't want to call out names, but I think it was your mom voted for Behind the Mask, and I was like, yes, and then she swapped her vote like <laughs> right after because I was watching. I was like, someone's going to change it. It's like, I, I mean, so I don't want to call names, but I think it might have been your mom. <laughs> I didn't call her by her name. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't her though. I could I couldn't exactly tell, but it was. I, I was just like, no, my life is ruined. Don't worry, we will get to behind the mask because that is also uh, an awesome movie. But this is quite an iconic slasher, so it's not a bad way to end. It was. It was pretty great too. I only got ever watched it through in its entirety, mm-hmm. uh, but it was uh, it was pretty spectacular also. Yeah. Anyways, I will now do the teaser. Oh, finally. Tina, a high school student, is cornered in an industrial labyrinth. At the end of the pipe-laden corridor stands a man with a severely burned face and razors protruding from his fingertips. Tina awakes, screaming, though is relieved to know none of it was real. Troubled by her dream, she invites her friends, Nancy, Glenn, and Rod, over for an impromptu sleepover. Though perhaps she shouldn't sleep at all, lest she wants to succumb to a nightmare on Elm Street. Gave me chills. What was what was your takeaway from the movie, Ian? Did you walk away disappointed? Were you excited? I walked away and I was like, I don't entirely know how this movie did it, but that was awesome. I I really, really enjoyed it. I was surprised. Yeah, I think it's impressive how well it holds up today still for how old it is. Yeah. Because I think a lot of slashers, you kind of have to give them some slack because they just don't live up to what we expect today. But that really doesn't fall off with time. Yeah. At least so far. And I was pretty leaned into it, which I think really helped. But the effects weren't so bad that like, you know, if you were leaned into it, they they were still effective if you were leaned into it. Yeah. So yeah, it was, I was really surprised um, <laughs> at how good it was. Yeah. And lots of their stuff you could kind of tell. That, like, they're using cuts and everything to make the effects happen. Mm-hmm. Um, to just kind of, like, trick the eye. And it was obvious, but it didn't make it not work. And it was cool how that worked out in the end. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I totally get what you mean. Like, it was pretty obvious when they were cutting a prosthetic instead of a person. 
um but it was still like it was still good yeah i think that there were like two goofy parts that i'll get into later but they didn't ruin the movie by any means <laughs> i think i might but know they the were, goofy parts they were a little goofy. yeah <laughs> i was just like hmm, yeah interesting so uh what what did you end up giving the rating what was your final number quantification of the quality of the movie I read this movie right after I watched it, you know, when I was really excited about it. Yeah. And I was thinking about how oh, maybe I should tone down my rating, you know, because, you know, I was really excited about it because I was watching it. But you know what? No, I'm not toning down my rating. This gets a nine out of ten. This was an awesome horror movie to watch. Fantastic slasher. I love the uniqueness of it, especially compared to uh, the movies during its time. Like this was an awesome movie and I really enjoyed it. Nine out of ten. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. Actually, I, I was I'm giving it a nine out of ten. Damn, I think that, but uh, I think it gets some points just for not falling off. I think that's what's really impressive. Yeah, is they made something that can actually last despite being so present or present in the past, and it does a whole lot of things that we hadn't really seen from slashes before. Then it kind of breaks some boundaries, which Wes Craven is known for doing. Mm-hmm. So I I got to give it a good old nine out of ten. We're two weeks in a row now where not only have we given extremely high ratings, but the same. You give it a four out of ten. High rating. <laughs> <laughs> I've changed my mind. <laughs> I said one. I hate it. <laughs> uh, but okay. So there you go. Average for us then is a nine out of ten. What, what, does, what does our audience think? The audience gave it a 7.6. Ah. Uh, uh, silence fills the room. Disappointment <laughs> rests Cricket. with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How dare. But yeah, I can see where it wouldn't be your cup of tea or anything. I feel like we're kind of going at, we've been doing this long enough and we've enjoyed horror for long enough, long before we did the podcast that mm-hmm. the, as like horror enthusiasts, it's just really impressive how well it comes together and stuff. So I think that kind of, from a horror enthusiast, I think it's a lot better. Whereas if you're just someone watching the movie, and horror isn't necessarily like your genre, then I can see where it can fall off for you some. So I think it kind of depends on where you're coming at it from. Oh, totally. I think like for me, since I've watched Halloween, I've watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I am biased as like, you know, what I'm expecting uh, this period to create, especially in terms of slashers. And this like blew me out of the water because it was so much better. Yeah. And so like there's definitely some comparison there, but it's also well deserved, I think, and what they did do right. And like how it still manages to tell the same story really well, even now. Yeah, no, 100 percent. Do you want to go ahead and give us your summary and then we'll dive into it a lot harder? Yeah, let's do it. A man visible only by his hands prepares something in his workshop of sorts. He shapes and sharpens metal, attaching razors to the fingers of an old pair of leather gloves. A young girl in a nightgown rushes down dimly lit industrial corridors filled with obstructive steam. She finds herself at a dead end and turns to see a man with a severely burned face and razors protruding from his fingertips. The young girl, Tina, screams jolting herself awake. It was all just a bad dream. Tina's mom comes into the bedroom to check on her, having heard her thrashing and screams. She notices that Tina's nightgown is slashed, with four parallel cuts down the middle of it. Tina, honey, you gotta cut your fingernails, you gotta stop that kind of dreaming. One or the other. The following morning, Tina meets with her three friends at school. Her best friend, Nancy her boyfriend Rod, and Nancy's boyfriend, Glenn. Before heading into school, Tina tells them how she had a really troubling nightmare. Nancy and Glenn attempt to console her, telling her it was just a dream. Everyone has a bad dream once in a while. It's no biggie. Yeah, next time you have one, just tell yourself that's all it is, right while you're having it, you know? Once you do that, you wake right up. That night, Nancy and Glenn decide to sleep over at Tina's house, as her mother's gone out of town, and Tina's still spooked from her nightmare. More troubling, however, Nancy tells Tina about the nightmare she had, one with the same terrifying man. I dreamed about a guy in a dirty red and green sweater. Well, what about the fingernails? Oh, he scraped his fingernails along things. 
Actually, they were more like finger knives or something, something he'd made himself. Glenn dismisses the idea they could have the same dream, but is startled upon hearing a metal scraping sound coming from outside, reminiscent of razors scraping against metal pipes. I'm going to punch out your ugly lights, whoever you are. The three go outside to investigate, where Glenn is suddenly tackled by Rod. It turned out he was making the scraping sounds with a garden tool, though it's unknown what his inspiration for making the sound was. Rod and Tina go upstairs into a bedroom to have sex, and Glenn is hopeful of being alone with Nancy as well, but she resists his flirtations. We're here for Tina now, not ourselves. Not far into the night, Tina is awakened by the sound of pebbles hitting her window. After a failed half-hearted attempt to wake up Rod, Tina goes downstairs to see who it is, knowing that they're trying to scare her. She goes into the backyard where she hears a phantom voice saying her name from a nearby alleyway. She can make out his worn-down hat and his faded red and green striped sweater along with his razor-equipped fingers. It's the man from her nightmare. Please, God. This is God. His arms stretch out impossibly, blocking the entirety of the alleyway, and he runs towards Tina. Tina retreats to her backyard and heads for the house. Before she can make it, the man grabs her and tackles her to the ground. Back in the bedroom, Tina thrashes around, waking up Rod, who leaps out of the bed. From under the covers, Tina screams for help as the man continues to attack her. Rod tears the sheet off of Tina, but the man is gone. Still struggling, Tina is picked up off the bed by an invisible force, and her stomach is slashed open with four parallel cuts. Rod screams Tina's name as she's forced upward onto the ceiling, bleeding profusely, until she finally goes quiet and is dropped onto the floor. Nancy and Glenn, having heard the commotion, bang on the locked bedroom door and hear Roddy yell something about finding who did this. After they finally break in, they find Tina dead on the floor and blood covering the room. Rod is nowhere to be seen, seemingly having escaped out of the open window. It looks like the victim's boyfriend. Where is she? I put her in your office. His name's Rod Lane. He's a musician type, arrest for drugs, brawling. Terrific. At the police station, Nancy gives her account of what happens to Lieutenant Donald Thompson, her father. Rod is the obvious suspect in the murder. Despite his past delinquency, however, Nancy doesn't believe him to be the killer and thinks the event might be related to Tina's dream. She dreamed this was going to happen. What? She had a nightmare that someone was trying to kill her. The next morning, as Nancy walks to school, Rod ambushes her and pulls her into some bushes. He tells her that he didn't kill Tina, but before talking about it further, Lieutenant Thompson appears behind them and has Rod arrested at gunpoint. I didn't do it! I didn't kill her, Nancy! Daddy? You use me. What the hell were you doing going to school today for anyway? Nancy? Nancy! While in English class at school, Nancy hears someone saying her name from the hallway. Nancy. Nancy. Looking over, it's Tina, standing upright in a bloody body bag. As Tina stumbles away, Nancy looks around but realizes no one else saw her. Nancy decides to follow the blood trail left by Tina down the hallway. She follows the trail to the top of a descending stairway. She goes down into the basement where she's confronted by the killer, dressed in his recognizable sweater and hat, and wearing a severely burned face. Nancy turns to go back up the stairs, but they've disappeared, replaced by a solid wall. 
The man chases her down the familiar-looking industrial corridors, quickly backing her into a dead end. Come to Freddy, he says. But before he can get to her, Nancy presses her arm onto a nearby steam pipe, burning herself. The pain wakes her up, and she thrashes and screams, disrupting her English class. Frightened, she excuses herself from the classroom and leaves to go home. On the way out, she sees that the burn mark on her arm is still there. She goes to visit Rod in jail, where she asks if he's been having nightmares. He confirms her fears. He's been haunted by the same figure with the razor gloves, Freddy. There was this, there was this guy. He had nice fingers. She tells Rod that she knows he didn't kill Tina, and leaves. Back home, Nancy takes a bath to relax. Having not had any sleep, she begins to drift off. As she does, she's suddenly pulled underwater. The light from the surface gets farther and farther away as Nancy is pulled into the abyss below. Struggling to break away, she manages to grip the side of the bath and pulls herself out. Nancy's mom, Marge, having heard her screams, bursts into the bathroom, but Nancy says she just fell. Marge sends Nancy to bed, but Nancy is now afraid to sleep. She takes energy medication from the bathroom cabinet and brings the coffee maker into her room. Glenn, seeing Nancy's bedroom lights still on from his home across the street, sneaks up to her window, where Nancy lets him in. Nancy enlists his help in an experiment, saying it won't be too much work, but he'll have to stand guard. In her nightgown, Nancy leaves her house and heads off to the jail, where Rod is being held. She finds him sound asleep, with Freddy approaching him. He faces through the jail door bars and looks down at Rod. Nancy screams for Glenn, but he's nowhere to be seen. He lunges at her and chases her back into her house. As Nancy struggles up the stairs, now sticking to her feet, Freddy breaks the front door window wearing Tina's face and imitating her voice. Nancy, uh, help me please. Save me from Freddy. Nancy wakes up and is furious to find Glenn asleep in the chair next to her bed. She had asked him to keep watch and wake her up if it looked like she was having a nightmare. And what did you do, you shit? You fell asleep. After scolding Glenn, the two hurry over to the jail to see Rod, as Nancy is convinced Freddy's after him next, due to what she saw in her dream. The guard on duty is skeptical and is resistant to letting her see him. Meanwhile, Rod's bedsheet, guided by some invisible hand, wraps itself around his neck. After Nancy finally convinces her dad to let them check on him, it's too late, and they find Rod hung in his cell, his neck broken. Marge, worried for Nancy's mental health, takes her to a sleep clinic. Instruments are attached to her, and a doctor monitors her from the next room with Marge. Everything seems to be normal until Nancy starts to dream. Her nightmare produces nonsensical results, and she thrashes around violently. Marge wakes her up, and shockingly, Nancy reveals Freddy's hat from under her blanket. Where did you get that? I grabbed it off his head. Back home, Marge continues to deny Nancy's antics and insists that all she needs is some sleep. This aggravates Nancy, who takes out the hat again and shows that there's a name written inside it. Fred Krueger. Fred Krueger can't come after you, Nancy. He's dead. Believe me, I know. You knew about him all this time? And you've been acting like it was something I made up? Nancy, you're sick. There's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. You'll feel better when you sleep. It's just as simple as that. Screw sleep! 
Later that day, as Glenn and Nancy walk together, Glenn tells her about dream skills, how certain people can control their dreams. Nancy asks him what they would do if they met a monster in their dreams, and Glenn says they would turn their back on it, because if you take away a nightmare's energy, it disappears. Glenn's surprised to find that the book Nancy is reading is about creating booby traps. What are you reading that for? I'm into survival. After returning home, Marge finally opens up to Nancy. She takes her to the basement and tells her about Fred Krueger, a child killer who preyed on the neighborhood when she was a kid. When Krueger was apprehended and put on trial, evidence against him became inadmissible due to a technicality, an improperly signed search warrant. He was released, but the neighborhood still wanted justice, so they captured him and burned him alive. Marge pulls a bundle from the furnace and shows Nancy Freddy's gloves, which she had kept all this time. Still's okay now. You can sleep. Nancy realizes that Freddy has entered their dreams to enact his revenge. Nancy comes up with a plan, which she shares with Glenn. She'll fall asleep and grab Freddy. Then Glenn will wake her up and help her take down Freddy in the real world. He just needs to sneak in after midnight when Marge is asleep. And most importantly, Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. As midnight approaches, Nancy calls Glenn, but his dad picks up instead and tells her it's too late and she'll have to wait until tomorrow. Not long after, she gets a call back, but it's from Kruger. She realizes that Glenn is about to die. She rushes to get to the door, but it's locked. Marge lies drunk on the couch nearby, saying that she's locked down the house so that Nancy can actually get some sleep. I locked it all up. I had to. Nancy, you are going to get some sleep tonight if it kills me. Meanwhile, Glenn drifts asleep, the TV in his bed and the headphones over his ears having been unsuccessful in keeping him awake. Freddy's claws reach up from inside Glenn's mattress, and Glenn barely lets out a sound as he's pulled into his bed, the TV tumbling in with him. A geyser of blood then erupts from the bed, pouring and sticking onto the ceiling above. Glenn's mother opens the door and screams. Police and an ambulance show up at Glenn's house, and Nancy, already aware that Glenn is dead, calls and pleads with her father to come to her house in 20 minutes to arrest Freddy. Her father agrees, but is obviously skeptical, and just wants Nancy to sleep. Honey, look, honey, you just do that. Get yourself some sleep. That's what I've been telling you all along. But she'll be here to catch him? Lieutenant, they're waiting for you upstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, I'll be there, sweetheart. Now look, you just get yourself some rest, please. Nancy then goes about setting up a number of booby traps across the house, knowing she might need them when she brings Freddy into the real world. She then sets her alarm, as well as a timer, on her watch and goes to sleep. While dreaming, she goes down into the house's basement and finds the same descending staircase that's taken her to Freddy before. Making her way down the stairs, she finds herself in Freddy's boiler room. While at first he's nowhere to be seen, Freddy finally attacks her, and the dream shifts to them flying out of Nancy's bedroom window onto the front lawn. As Nancy's alarm goes off, she leaps onto Freddy to take him with her. She's successful and appears to have brought Freddy with her, and then taunts Freddy into her various booby traps as she screams from the windows to get the attention of the police officer on the other side of the street outside of Glenn's house. Freddy chases Nancy through the house and into the basement, where she douses him in gasoline and sets him on fire. No, 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 no. The smoke from the house finally gets Lieutenant Thompson's attention, and he breaks in through the front door with a couple of other officers. Nancy runs up to him and tells him Freddy's in the basement. However, she quickly sees that there are fiery footprints leading upstairs, 
She follows them and finds Freddy in a struggle with Marge in her bed. Lieutenant Thompson comes in as well, and they pull the covers off the bed, only to reveal a charred corpse, which slowly disappears into the bed. Lieutenant Thompson seems to be in shock and can't say a thing, but Nancy tells him that she's okay and that he should go. When he leaves, Freddy comes up to the bed and lurches towards Nancy. You think you was going to get away from me? I know you too well now, Freddy. This time, however, Nancy turns her back on him, remembering what Glenn told her. She curses him and demands her mother and friends back. I want my mother and friend again. What? I take back every bit of energy I gave you. You're nothing. He lunges at her, but her lack of fear renders him powerless, and he disappears into nothing. Nancy leaves the bedroom and finds herself outside her front door on a sunny day dressed for school. Marge stands behind her and declares that she'll quit drinking. No, baby, I'm gonna stop drinking. I just don't feel like it anymore. Glenn, Rod, and Tina pull up in Glenn's car to take her to school. After Nancy gets in, the convertible's red and green striped roof suddenly slams shut and the windows roll up. Hey, hey I'm not doing it. As the car drives off on its own, with the kids screaming from inside, Marge waves them goodbye, smiling obliviously. Suddenly, Freddy's arm smashes outward through the tiny front door window and pulls Marge's entire body through it. It seems he did get his revenge, after all. Wow, incredible summary, Ian. <laughs> that was awesome. I don't even know if, uh, if people <laughs> get it or not. But... Yeah, for those of you that don't get it, Ian adds them in post. Yeah, so. I, I started, uh, I used to actually read through the whole summary while Marsh was here. Um, you know, he'd probably, you know, fall asleep through it. Uh, but... I was That was always like my bathroom break. I was just like, this is where I'll be yeah. back soon. <laughs> um, well, so I'll start off with talking about the goofy things, because I think that that's really all I have to say negative about the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's they're really not that bad. They didn't. Wait, can I guess it? Oh, yeah. OK, please guess away. All right. So there are two, right? Uh, I guess there's kind of three, but two fall under the same like idea. Well, the two goofy things that I can think of off the top of my head is when he's got real long arms. <laughs> Yeah, that is one of them. And then uh, one of the last scenes in the movie when Marge, Nancy's mother, that gets pulled in through the front door window. Oh, yeah. Or like she was clearly a mannequin or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That OK, that was a little goofy. That wasn't one of the ones I was talking about. No, the the one that struck me is the goofiest that like I just kind of cracked up at mm-hmm. was our when Freddie is first chasing Tina. Um, I'm not first chasing. I guess it's his second chase with her. Mm-hmm. But the chase where she ends up dead um, when she wakes up next to Rod, he um, <laughs> she's just running and he's chasing her and he just says, hey, Tina. And she looks back. <laughs> I was like, what What are you saying? <laughs> and, then <he's, laughs> and then he just cuts off his finger. <laughs> that is great. Like, like imagine she... being a killer and all you need to do to get the person running for me to turn around is just say their name. <laughs> just like, hey, Tina. Yes, Freddy. <laughs> what is it? Uh, i started crying and like he he didn't even use the opportunity like of her stopping so stupidly to do anything he actually does just show her something and then they just resume the chase and i was like this is like a weirdly wholesome break at the chase (laughs) like i know it was disgusting but like at least Uh, they have that trust between (laughs) it's not about the chase and how it ends it's about the freddies you make along the way But yeah, I just, I cracked up at that part. I was like, hold on, Zeta. Just keep going. And for me, like, 
Like, yes, in some respects, that does take away from the horror of the movie, but it also kind of adds some old charm to it. Yeah, I, I think there's there's some charm in just like, hey, we like clearly they were just like, hey, let's show off a little bit of like weird stuff, weird gore. Here. Yeah, have some fun prosthetics. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh. And by no means did it ruin the movie. I just I just thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, it was definitely goofy. But yeah, and the long the long arms like it was just that it lasted so long and it didn't do anything. He was just showing like my arms are long. And she's just like, oh, no, he can reach me. Just like, huh? um, so what are what are some of your favorite things about the movie and what, what sticks out to you? I got to review my notes so I don't sound silly. Hold up. I like to sing a young Johnny Depp. And seeing a young Johnny Depp was definitely uh, a fun perk. Yeah, he wasn't, and what's crazy is he was actually kind of a good actor to start with, you know? Like, yeah. I'm not saying it was, like, the performance of his life or anything, yeah. but, I mean, like, it was believable by all means. Yeah, it certainly was not bad, especially when compared to, like, I mean, I keep coming back to it, but, you know, it's a slasher made around the same time. Halloween, like, you know, when you compare the acting of those kids to these. Um, yeah. Especially, uh, you know, especially Nancy and uh, Glenn, Johnny Depp's character. Uh, like those two, I feel like like there wasn't any time with their acting where I was like, well, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, if anything, I think the mom had some times. And I think really just that ending scene where I was like, hmm, this is a little fun. This is a little off here. That was slightly excusable because she was it seemed like she was it was supposed to be kind of weird. Yeah. Um. And so like the way that she was like, hey, honey, I've decided to quit drinking. Like it was kind of like, OK, because it mm. was part of like, OK, there's something weird going on here. But yeah, it was uh, overall, though, it was pretty good all around. Yeah, I was enjoying the acting. Yeah, the the acting was quite good. And also, unlike some other slashers, uh, the deaths were very well done. Mm -hmm. um, they were really bloody, which was really effective in selling it and selling the danger that Freddy represents, because when you make uh, the killer somewhat abstract and non-physical because Freddy's within like the dream realm, it's important to add that impact in the real world to actually make him seem scary. And the deaths that they did with him were really frightening. I'd say the the scariest one was Glenn's um, when he like is pulled into his bed and just juiced. Yeah, it's like they left. It's like he was put through a blender, but they forgot to put the lid on. Yeah, they just blended them up, and then the blood—the way that they did the blood and how it like fell like upward into the ceiling—it was just, it was, it was so cool. And on top of that, with their deaths, because they chose to do this sort of unique concept of the killer being within your dreams and all that, it allowed them to do very creative things, including long arms, McGee, but. Um, you know, it really allowed them to to be creative with their deaths, and they took advantage of that, and it was it was really effective. Yeah, and um, one thing I can really appreciate is with every death, they always talked about like the razor blade cuts, you know, like they made those four gashes. Mm -hmm. Um, and they did a good job of making that almost like a focal point of the killings without trying too hard to make it a focal point. I felt like, mm -hmm. I felt like it would have been really easy for to like keep having a character say. Oh, but what about those weird knife marks or something? And it would have just come off as like too much. But they kept bringing it up all naturally. It was really impressive. It didn't feel like it was forced into our face, but it was kind of forced into our face. I also, I think Nancy is really awesome just because of the new final girl she is. And I want to say that, that was really new for the time as well. Like mm -hmm. she set up her traps. She planned everything. She said like, I'm going to get this guy rather than like, I'm going to run away and hope that I get a chance to stab this guy in the eye with a coat hanger. Mm -hmm. um, and it was it was just cool seeing a final girl be smart about it, which I feel like we do see more today. Definitely. I think your next is a great example of that. But back then, I think that was like a really revolutionary thing. Like what? She's free thinking. You mean she wants to defend herself? It was just crazy. Yeah. I mean, the final girl was mostly it was just like the the final victim. And like if they did fight back, it, it wasn't to any real success. But this one, like like she really uh, went for it. And I, I kind of liked that. Um, so like Glenn tells her, you know, you should turn away from him. Like when he's talking about dream skills and how they you don't give that nightmare energy. But it's kind of funny how uh, how she starts is she kind of does it the other way around where she faces him 
and literally like uh runs him into all these booby traps and then sets him on fire with gasoline <laughs> like that's yeah it's pretty cool like she ends up defeating him by then realizing that he's nothing or at least seemingly defeating him by realizing that he's nothing and turns on him but by that point it's like she kind of already shown him who's boss and now she was like you're not even worth my effort so the, the way that they did that made her feel really powerful in a way that even again movies around this time slashers uh with final girls who did fight back technically they never really felt powerful and they they did a great job making her feel powerful yeah she held a lot of empowerment within herself I do appreciate that, like, while she did have that realization that Freddy's nothing, that that wasn't actually the the winning cause, you know? Mm -hmm. It felt a little silly to me that, like, oh, you just ignore him like you do a two-year-old, and then finally he leaves you alone. They set it up so it isn't so bad, Mm -hmm. but then the fact that, like, they set it up so it wasn't so bad, but then that wasn't actually the case, I appreciated that. Yeah. That Freddy was still around. He was just kind of goofing with her some more. It was a good twist. And they also leave it open. Like, you know, you don't really know if, like, all the kids died or not, um, just given this first movie. But they, they leave it open, and yet they manage to keep Freddy powerful and alive and uh, something to fear, which is really important for this kind of movie. Like, you kind of want your audience to go home and think about it. Like, oh, I hope Freddy doesn't come for me. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, Ian, what did you think of Freddy, like, as a killer? I guess I, I kind of touched on this a little bit already, but I really love how he, of course, comes into your dreams and in your nightmares specifically. Like I know, like in the Rob Zombies Halloween that we watched pretty recently, we talked about how it how it made Michael Myers better because it made him feel more physically unstoppable. And that that physically unstoppable thing can be really good. I like how in this one, he becomes unstoppable because you can't stay awake like at some point you're going to fall asleep and that's when he strikes and, and so that that part of of freddy to me is what makes him he's inevitable because you have to sleep and i that that's the main thing and then just like the the deaths in general of course also sell that they do a great job of having freddy have this unstoppable aura about him even if he's not physically big and intimidating yeah, well, what I like about he was kind of all powerful in this dream realm, mm-hmm. seemingly, but they did it and like that. And yes, you have to sleep eventually. So you do have to fall victim to him eventually. However, they set it up with her staying awake and her fighting back in the dreams that it didn't feel like he was too all powerful. Like we felt in Lazarus effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did feel stoppable, even though he did have a great amount of power. Yeah, because he still had to get you yeah like he still had to catch you like other uh slasher you know monsters and 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 people so yeah you're right yeah it's not like lazarus effect where it's like okay you're in my dream realm now so like basically i can manipulate this whole world uh to get you and i i just thought that was really well crafted um and back then i don't even think they had that precedent of like the slasher can't be all powerful Mm -hmm. i think that was just something that they kind of felt the sense that had to happen because you have to have your characters have a chance to win. Otherwise, why watch? Yeah, and, and they also do a great job of that when Nancy brings him into the real world. And he's actually, he's not having a good time. Um, you know, like, I feel like uh, she even scares him when she sets him on fire. Because that's like how he died. Mm-hmm. And so they do a really good job of that. And he basically has to escape back into the dream world from her. Uh, even if she doesn't win the war, ultimately, that's still like a one battle. It it shows you that, yeah, he's not completely unstoppable. Yeah, and I want to talk about the way he died. So our I, yeah, I always like saying our initial sin. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that we've set it up two ways, that you have your monster slasher and your revenge slasher. And you have Michael Myers is your monster slasher. He didn't, he wasn't, wrong, I guess Rob Zombies was a revenge slasher, more or less. But... The original Michael Myers, he was just a force of evil. And that's what, that's how he was portrayed. He was kind of all powerful with just the evil he had. And then the other popular slasher, Jason, Friday the 13th, he comes back and kills a bunch of kids uh, because they let him drown when they were camp counselors, you know? So he's like, freak all camp counselors. Um, <laughs> so he, he he's on like a revenge arc. Jason's almost justifiable. Michael is understandable 
just mm-hmm. in that he is just evil. Freddy is this weird in between of he, he, in life he was this child killer. Like mm-hmm. he was just terrible. He he was serial killing children all about. But he was still wronged because he got out of the uh out of any kind of punishment via legal manners, even though it was just a mess up and yes, he should have gone to prison and all. Mm-hmm. He was still wronged against because people took it into their own hands to kill him. They went above the law and killed him that way. So in a weird way, it's still a revenge arc, but he's still just a monster. It's this weird combination of the two that makes for a really unique killer. Yeah. I feel like Wes Craven, he he almost addresses that like this isn't just someone out to kill the party kids or anything. In the beginning, we see Tina die right after she has sex, which is a common trope is that like you have sex, you die in a horror movie. Yep. Um, but he gets that like right out of the way. That's the first kill, which I don't think it's always really the first kill. Sometimes it is, but it doesn't like necessarily have to be. But it's just like right off the bat, he's he kills a girl who has sex. And then from there, he just wants to kill kids. So he becomes his own killer that isn't out for the like typical reasons that we see our, our slashers out to get people. So I like that it was almost this weird theme of like, don't take things into your own hands. Because we also see later that Glenn dies because... Uh, Nancy can't get a hold of him. She's trying to call, but the parents said, like, enough of this crap. Uh, she's never talking to her kid again. So they leave the phone off the receiver. So it's not ringing. So Glenn dies mm. for that reason. Um, so we see this recurring theme of adults taking things into their own hands and kids dying because of it. It's this weird thing. And I don't know if that's exactly the theme they were going for, if that is a message they were trying to get across, but it's looking at just everything that happens it's this weird idea that does come through i feel like yeah there's definitely um and and i guess this is part of that whole thing of uh you know this is also pretty common trope in horror movies of uh you know you're not able to convince other people like what's going on um you know like you you they think you're crazy um and and yeah like you're right there's a pattern in this movie of adults not listening specifically to nancy uh you know to kids um uh, but not listening to Nancy, and then that's how that's how Rod ends up dying because the officers are so dismissive and don't really want to, you know, check up, check on him because um, they they think there's no reason to. And then we see, like you just said again with Glenn, how she can't get a hold of him, so he falls asleep and he dies. So, yeah, I I do wonder what their what their aim for that was if there if there was a message behind that, um, like not listening to to kids. Yeah, it's. I just, it was just crazy to me that I, I didn't that's not something you ever hear about when people talk about this movie, but yet it's so prevalent throughout it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm just curious, like if the creators have addressed that or anything. Well, speaking of uh, curiosity in terms of symbolism, it is interesting. And, and this is also pretty common, uh, you know, in these sorts of movies, Um but not like super common. So it is interesting to see. And that's uh, sort of a, a theme of Christianity. Um, like it's not it's not huge in this movie, but it's certainly there, uh, you know, like popping in little details. For example, like, uh, you know, holding a crucifix as, as some way to defend against Freddy. And also, like, like you said, um, you know, the person who has sex first uh, ends up dying first. Whereas, you know, Nancy and Glenn hold the more pure morality position and that that's pure in quotes. <laughs> um, and then like there's even that that uh, that first scene where Tina starts being chased before she dies, um, where she says, you know, like, oh, help me, God. And then Freddie says, this is God, you know, and points to his gloves. Um, so th- I wonder why they uh, why they wanted to really include that in there. I mean, I know part of it's just you know, American culture, especially at that time, uh, and definitely still now. But still, it's I wonder why they why they decided to have that in this movie, like if there was a point behind it. it no, it is interesting that you point that out. I didn't catch on to all of the religious things. I did. Did someone fend them off with the crucifix? I don't remember that. So it's it's within the song that you hear the kids singing. Um, I, I forget how it goes, but like one of them's like, you know, grab your crucifix basically like grab your crucifix and you know stay up late because freddy's gonna get you tonight or something like that 
And then there's also like uh, the the uh, crucifix that's in Nancy's bedroom, like falls off the wall onto her. I don't know if that's supposed to show that like Freddie can't quite get through there or like if he's staying away from there or something. But yeah, there is there is uh, some idea of like having a, a crucifix. I think it's also Tina when she first wakes up from the nightmare might uh, grab a crucifix. Yeah, I, I remember the crucifix falling into her bed or like falling somewhere. Maybe it was Nancy, but it, it fell somewhere and then it came up later uh, and it kind of like tied the two scenes together a little stronger. Um, I looked at the lullaby. It's one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. Five, six, grab a crucifix. Mm-hmm. Nine, ten, never sleep again. Um, and yeah, it is interesting because the, he definitely makes it clear that like what he's doing is godless. Like it's. Uh, not only like the actions themselves are like sinful and therefore godless, but like the whole situation is kind of he does make a point to be like, there's no God, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, God is the thing that judges your fate. And right now that's my glove. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is interesting that the nursery rhyme would include that five, six, grab a crucifix because it's clear it doesn't do anything. Um, Yeah. I mean, they they never actually have a scene where, like, someone's holding a crucifix, like, against him. Yeah, he's um, no vampire. Because, yeah, like, yeah, like, uh, um, like, no one ever, like, is holding on to, like, a crucifix or anything, like, when they go to sleep. So it's it's interesting how they do include that, but then they don't actually uh, use it. So, yeah, it's just, it definitely has me wondering about, like, what, what they were trying to go for there and then with those themes. Uh no, it is. I do like that. And I didn't catch on to that too much, which is interesting because I like to I really like looking at religion in media. So it is it is cool that they kind of like very specifically went out of their way to say this is godless. And But it was very much only on like the oppressive end. I feel like there was never a search for God or anything to like help. Like the closest would be teeny yelling like, oh, God. Um, But there was never any like real turns to a church to help. Yeah. Yeah, it was very much Freddy just being like, don't don't turn to God. Um, and the kids were like, we didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention how much Nancy's mom did annoy me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, she didn't ruin the story or anything. And uh, she was probably meant to be a bit of an annoying character. Mm. But her <laughs> like when she brings up Freddy Krueger uh, is coming to get me and stuff. And for so long, she's just like, what are you talking about? There's no man. And like, you just she doesn't sleep. Well, she doesn't think of like to tell her daughter like, oh, but there was a child killer that was that I murdered a long time ago <laughs> by that name. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wonder like that you would have no idea about. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> like she she was just wanting to like throw that to coincidence or anything. or be like, that doesn't matter. Like, that's just stupid. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, I think the only way they get around that is like she's heavily drinking because I think she's thinking about that. She like doesn't want to. She doesn't want to bring it up, but eventually, like she she knows that she has to. Yeah, it, it didn't ruin it by any means, mm-hmm. and I think that her heavily drinking too, like not think about that, uh, it does work. But like, <laughs> even if it, like it were just like a drunk person being like, I forgot to tell you this, I'd still be annoyed with them even if they're drunk. <laughs> I'd just be like, come on. <laughs> Well, you know, important. got off of that, I, that did remind me of two other semi-goofy things. Like, they're not goofy on the face of it, just when you think about it. And that's, um, and that comes to, like, the speed of how certain things happen. Um, and so the two things I think of here is the speed at which uh, Nancy's house, like, all the windows are barred. Yeah, dude, she just came home one day and there was barred. Like, she had a busy day. I mean, all right. Yeah, I, I remember being a little shocked about that. I was like, it's not that easy, I don't think. Is it? Like, yeah, it can't I mean, be that secure if it was that easy. Yeah, and it wasn't just her window either. It was all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I feel like this is against a fire code or something. I don't know about <laughs> this. Um, and then she also has the door locked from the inside. <laughs> I just, like, that's That bothered me. Because she was just like, you can't get the key and you can't leave. And it's like, that's, that's just a bad strategy. It's just, you can't leave, so now you have to sleep. <laughs> yeah it's just like hold on yeah this isn't how you mother that, that was that was pretty funny um and then also the other time and this is less goofy i think but the other time when it seems like time moves slower uh like within 10 minutes she sets all of her booby traps 
Yeah, I, dude, it would take me 10 minutes just to, like, think of an idea to get that hammer by the door <laughs> hung up in that way. Like, I just be like, how do I manage? Like, yeah. But, man, she's she's speed running it. I know. It'd take me, like, five minutes just debating on, like, do I really want to put a hole in the wall here, though? I mean, it'd probably take you, like, 30 minutes to get all the gunpowder in that light bulb. <laughs> I know. That was insane. Uh, that, was, that was smart. Yeah, these are just like little little goofy details um, that are that they are fun, but yeah, like they don't actually change or ruin the story. Yeah, no, they're they're not bad by any means. Um, I I think the last goofy thing is one <laughs> that one cop out there watching Nancy break the door and scream and be like, "Go get my dad, please get help, he's here," and he's just watching like <laughs> for like a. What in their world must have been like a good 10 minutes just being like, and like finally he's like, maybe I should get the lieutenant about this. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this is worth it. Yep. Yep. No, I, I thought that was hilarious. And I think like, I think the movie was even somewhat self-aware of that. Um, oh yeah. For sure. Like, uh, but I, I love like what, what that officer must have been thinking like, oh, there's the, you know. There's Nancy. She, apparently, she's crazy now, so I just shouldn't listen to anything she says. Nah, she goes again, doing her Nancy thing. There there she goes again, breaking the front door window <laughs> to yell at me. I'm sure she's fine. The guy just cracks me up, and I was like, who is this guy? Why is he a police officer? <laughs> he is the problem with the police force. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just... That guy cracked me up so hard. Um... I like Freddy's dress, dress up, I want to say, like his costume is in, is kind of innovative, mm-hmm. I feel like. Just kind of casual, but like still very iconic. That's a cool thing about these like old movies, especially when it comes to slashers. Like they created like their own icons and like they're not things you would usually think of. Like they make them iconic by how they by like how they actually portray like the the killer who wears them, you know, like like. Michael Myers mask is iconic because of Michael Myers and the same thing with like Freddy's getup like the the reason that his sweater is iconic because it's a pretty normal sweater pretty colorful colors too uh, even though it's pretty worn down like it's, it's, it's Christmassy yeah it's Christmassy and it's it's iconic though because of Freddy so it's it's cool to see that they're iconic because the movies really did something great for their time even though I think Friday the 13th doesn't quite hold up too well and Halloween doesn't quite hold up too well. Mm-hmm. Um, they did great things, and they really set amazing precedents. And because of that, their icons are recognized today. Um, even Texas Chainsaw Massacre Leatherface is recognizable today. Mm-hmm. So it's a cool thing that I feel like I feel like since Scream, we don't see that anymore. And we'll, we'll we can talk about that when we finally see Scream. But like today, our killers just get to be killers. We don't ever remember a mask all too well. Yeah. Pennywise is probably the last one, but that wasn't even a mask. That was just like his figure. Interestingly enough, I think the and we should watch it at some point. Um, that'd be fun. But the symbol there is the red balloon, which is kind of yeah. Cool. There's cool like symbolism. I feel like we don't see we don't see it enough today as well. Yeah, I do agree that like it was probably the last one, but even that was a remake. It was a kind of a reboot mm-hmm. of it. That and and that was based on a book, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, even that, yes, it was made recently, but, like, the idea wasn't recent. Yeah. Uh, today, I feel like we're just not as interested in killers as icons as much. Mm-hmm. We're interested in them as people, almost. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a result of the time. I mean, this is during a lot of, uh, in the midst of moral panics, right? You know, of Satanism and, like, you know, people are all scared about the stranger danger, like, all that. And I, I think uh, a symbol makes that more memorable yeah well i feel like i feel like at the times they there were fears and i mean like there was um there was fear of like communism there was fear of the lgbtq community mm-hmm. stupidly enough um <laughs> yeah communism <laughs> and the gays yeah, <laughs> those exactly. <was> the fears <laughs> the two downfalls of america <laughs> <laughs> um like but like people had like these ideas to be scared of and like even the classic kidnapper was just that like black figure with the um, fedora on. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. They, but we, they didn't actually have like specific people to be scared of. They were all ideas. And so in our horror of that time, we don't see people. We see ideas that are 
our fear factors. We see Michael and he's an idea of this like pure evil. We see Friday the 13th with Jason. He's this kind of idea of pure revenge. Freddy, this idea of like evil persisting. But today we actually have so many faces we can put behind that. We have like Ted Bundy. Um, you can find the faces of like people who do school shootings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually have names that we are afraid of. So I feel like that's bled into our horror. And because of that, we get into our horror characters as actual people instead of just an idea. Yeah, that's my hot take. I Do you have any last things you want to say, Ian? Or are we ready to move into our surveys? You know, uh, I, I think that's uh, a good place to, to end it. If I think of something, I'll bring it up. <laughs> Or a good, good place to not end it, but uh, go into the surveys. Yeah, so we're skipping the survey. Yeah, so sorry, guys. No surveys this yeah. week. We're just the... <laughs> bye, everyone. It was good. You guys gave it too low of a rating. We don't care. Yep. No, yeah. We're uh, we're done. Uh, so uh, thanks for listening. All right, but like we said, the surveys averaged out to 7.6 amidst our viewers. Uh we asked how scary it was. I didn't I didn't take the average because I never do because I'm dumb. But uh, <laughs> if I do a quick mathematical thing, it's uh, something like a three point something. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Twenty three divided by seven is ladies and gentlemen, a human calculator divided by seven. <laughs> yeah. It's like a twenty three point four or something, something stupid. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Uh, in general, it wasn't it wasn't anything too high. Our highest were like a couple sixes, but like we even had ones. People weren't too scared of this. Yeah, fair. which I understand. It's I feel like my fascination with it isn't because it's scary. It's because it's actually good, mm-hmm. which I think is a lot more valuable to have in a horror movie. Uh, go for ha- producing a quality movie before you go for scaring people. True. So I think that's totally good. We moved into the paths of fear question after this, Ian. And I specific, I, I told Ian, I specifically left out feeling helpless because that's always the winner. I, I, we couldn't give Ian that cheat anymore. So <laughs> I found out, I found out the secret. <laughs> so from here on, we gave just four options that were present in the movie, but none are exactly just feeling helpless. So our first one is Freddy's body horror. The, the cutting of the near nipple, the slicing of the fingers. The cutting of the near nipple. <laughs> <laughs> that one will always haunt me. <laughs> uh, um, the next one is sleep being dangerous. The third is being unsure of what is real, what isn't, of what's reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last one being attacks and dreams being performed in real life. I would, I, would, I think the scariest thing in this movie, I'm just going to go off of like what I think. Is like okay. the scariest thing, and I think that's going to be it. It'll be uh, the second one. So like uh, being like sleep, going to sleep, being dangerous. I th- I think that's okay. That's it. And what do you think wasn't the one? What do you think didn't take the cake? Uh, what was the third one? Being unsure of what is real and what isn't. I think that one won't be. I think that one will be the least. Being unsure of oh what's my. real and what's not. You did it, guys. We did. Yeah, you didn't even need the cheat this time, and you just did it. Oh my gosh! Did I? Yeah, <laughs> I'm amazed. Wow, I'm I've actually gotten good at this somehow. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. Maybe this will just, uh, you know, in some aspects, I want to get worse so that it's better content. But at the same time, I like winning, so I kind of want to no. keep doing it. You, you do the darndest you can, Ian. <laughs> um, overall, I think that what scares me is being unsure of what's reality. So it's interesting that that didn't take the cake. I hate the idea of not knowing what is around me isn't real. Um, I've had experiences like that, and mm-hmm. they suck. Uh, and those are the ones that really last with me. They terrify me. Yeah, and I think the reason why people might not have chosen that one is because even though that's definitely, and that's certainly within this movie, but it's also not really emphasized. But in this movie, what is really emphasized is that, you know, fear of, like, do not go to sleep. Um you know, if you go to sleep, you die. And and that's and that's certainly something that's it's quite scary. Well, that leads us into our last question, Ian. If confronted with Freddy yourself, what do you do? How do you survive? Do you even think there's anything to do? Do you think you could manage to stay awake or defeat Freddy or like what? How would you manage, Ian? The fun part about this is that the movie doesn't really give you an answer. Um, yeah. So that that's pretty cool. Oh, man. So... I think something that 
I would like to be able to do. Uh, of course, it would require like convincing someone else to help me. But Nancy has a really good idea here in having Glenn like watch over her while she's sleeping so that he can pull her out if she starts like thrashing. I feel like, um, you know, having like other people there, like multiple people around you when you go to sleep, you know, if you're doing this like in a group and you're all haunted by Freddy, you could kind of do it in shifts. And, you know, you could try to like find a way to defeat him in his dream world. Uh, and then you have like a, an escape. Um, and if you can pull him into the real world, then you can kind of all gang up on him and like, you know, clock him. <laughs> um, so I think my so the short answer is I would try to defeat him within a group. So like a, a team a team fight. OK, I, I like that. You just need to find people that can stay awake better than Johnny Depp. Yeah, exactly. It was really bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of funny because <laughs> it's like teenagers nowadays like just accidentally stay up past midnight oh, yeah. but glenn couldn't even he couldn't do it <laughs> he can do it for life and death <laughs> <laughs> that's just crazy um i'm on a similar boat if i would try something like that i could not stay awake like nancy does i can pull an all-nighter but it messes with me yeah um and i just i get so dysfunctional whenever i'm not sleeping like i like i can immediately start noticing just like me being able to do less, think less, perform worse. Yeah, cloudy and all that. Yeah, so like, I don't know how she manages. She didn't even get bags under her eyes. I get bags under my eyes if I sleep only like four hours. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, like, that was just crazy. Um, so I'd have I'd have to deal with them the first night because I'd be like, I need my sleep. <laughs> enough <laughs> is enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Our audience, so our first one, I feel like, is just our classic audience of just, I would die. Uh, <laughs> Gosh dang it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even paraphrasing. The whole response was, I would die. <laughs> Thank you. Um, our next is, I don't think there is a way to get away from him, because even if your strat is don't sleep, you can only go like 10 days without sleep before you die, so... Which, yeah, I think that's part of the fun of it, is you can't not sleep. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of which, I want to watch the Russian sleep experiment sometime, because I think there's a movie made about that. That's ah, terrifying. That would be interesting. Um, That'd be interesting. Our third one is I would use my Brazilian jiu-jitsu moves on him, just like with Michael Myers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it worked yeah, for God. Michael, it'll work with Freddy. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, to be fair, Freddy does grapple for some reason. Like, even though he has these knives on his fingers... For some reason, he also likes tackling you. Yeah, I know. I noticed that, too. He's always... <laughs> he's never slashing at you, which I'm just like, hold on. You have, like, five dives. But I think that's just, like... He is kind of like a serial killer. He's trying to get... He likes to see the fear out of you first. Oh, totally. Um, But, yeah, I mean, hey, yeah. if he's grappling with you, I mean, and you know jujitsu, I mean, it doesn't look like he does. So, yeah, he might be able to get an upper hand there, you know? Um, Until he lengthens his arms. <laughs> and then he grapples harder. <laughs> grapples around you twice <laughs> um, you can't arm bar when you've got those long arms <laughs> um, our next is I would befriend Freddy and ask to live eternal life as a nightmare alongside him tormenting and murdering annoying teens in movies <laughs> <laughs> oh joint try to join Freddy yeah. okay okay <laughs> I mean he is a, a child killer better side. but I guess if you're into that uh what what I find interesting about this is actually something I forgot to bring out in the movie. The characters didn't annoy me in the movie, um, oh. which is I think something you don't find in a lot of slashers. I didn't like. Usually, there's always at least like one character that is just flat out stupid and deserves to die for their stupidity. Yeah, you don't really see that because of course they tell they kill Tina so fast, so she doesn't even really get a chance. And Tina, I I want to say I thought she was going to be our final girl because she had so many final girl qualities of mm -hmm. just that like not too set out to defend herself or anything and being fair, fearful and all. But then she's not. And I feel like they very purposely did that was set her up to look like the final girl, but then hand it off to Nancy saying like, here's a better final girl. Oh yeah. And I even got like some psycho vibes by how they started with Tina and then had her killed off. Mm -hmm. um, like it, it did sort of make it look like she was the focus. Um, but yeah, then, then she died first. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're right, like, in how they set up Rod and how, you know, he's almost, like, framed in a way. And so, like, he can't really do anything about it. And, like, he's arrested and he's in a cell alone. 
Um, like the only person who like you could say maybe doesn't act so smart is Glenn, but it's also because he doesn't really have a reason to like believe um, and take it seriously. Uh, and so like, you know, he just that, that, that's how he succumbs to it. Like he doesn't think it's actually a thing. Um, so yeah. it's yeah, it, it all kind of there's no one who really and even the adults like the actions that they take while annoying, especially with us, the audience knowing the truth and that you should listen to Nancy their actions don't aren't all that strange except for maybe locking the front door from the inside (laughs) yeah and i think that's just that is the reason that the mom bothered me was because when the name is brought up that nancy shouldn't know of a terrible sin you did Mm -hmm. at that point get an idea but like uh but yeah overall no one was insanely unreasonable in this movie yeah i appreciate that. that that is well done um i think our next one is i don't think there is anything i could do at that point which is fair. Uh, our last one. Is it our last one? No, it's our second last one. I probably don't survive. But one thing that might help me would be sleeping without my CPAP and letting my body do what it naturally does. Which is suffocate me awake every 10 minutes. That's, <laughs> that's a superpower. There you go. The joy of sleep apnea. It, it helps you. It helps protect you from Freddy. But that's about there it. You <laughs> what a superpower to have in a Freddy situation. <laughs> Just unplug your CPAP. I'm invincible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I used to be halfway decent at realizing I was dreaming and waking myself up. But what I would try is to give myself superpowers in the dream and pull Freddy into my dream world where I could overpower him. I doubt it would work, but it'd be fun if it did. It could. Yeah, uh, it could. And just go all like Neo on him. Yeah, I think if you've got like enough dream skills, I think you might be able to do it. It's worth a shot. It's all a dream, so therefore take control of it. It'd be cool. Our last one is, I'm no threat to anyone in the waking world, but I rule the liminal pl- spaces between drifting and dreaming. Freddy would do my bidding or fall into his own nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's, that's, that's a fair approach, I think. <laughs> You're in my world now. <laughs> Freddy's my bitch. <laughs> Ask Freddy what he would do. <laughs> uh, is there, are there any last things you got? to say in before we uh go ahead and call it wraps yeah i mean i guess uh just to summarize um i'm not i don't remember everything so i can't really summarize but to summarize my thoughts uh yeah it's it's a really awesome movie um you know like we just recently said the, none of the characters uh like act in a way as if to like progress the plot purely like they act you know in ways that make sense um, the killer is unique and and is scary, uh, even if the movie itself isn't all that scary. But the idea of the killer is, um, you know, they the way that they do their deaths is really effective and good. Um, so, yeah, like all of that combined uh, makes uh, an excellent horror movie even today. Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in again. We have been Paths of Fear. If you want to get in on our movie nights, hop into our Discord. Link will be in the description. We watch them every night, every Friday night, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Mm-hmm. We're working on the Twitch streams. Still doing that some. Yeah, I'm doing uh, Omari uh, every Monday. If I miss Mondays, to do it Tuesday. Mm-hmm. 7 p.m. Omari Mondays time. and or Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we have, lastly, our website will be up hopefully soon here. Hopefully. Fastfear.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you all so much, and y'all have a lovely day. Farewell.